0: Welcome to Audio Gyan with Kedar Nimkar, a podcast that documents insightful conversations with Indian designers, artists, musicians, writers, thinkers, and creatives of all types. Catch us on iTunes or visit audiogyan.com for more Gyan sessions. Here's your host, Kedar Nimkar.
1: I love this book called What is Art and 100 Other Very Important Questions by Ernst Bilgrin. One of his questions in his book is, who decides whether art is good or not? And then he has a nice format to answer. There's a short answer and and a long answer. So short answer is Glenn D. Laurie. And then the long answer, quality is moniker for what people you respect, appreciate. Or even if you do not agree with them, there are those who you perceive as authorities in the field on account of their expertise, their position or the respect they enjoy among peers. Subsequently, what is considered geniality changes as those people are are substituted. The pre-Raphaelites were considered the best thing that happened in the world of art, but well into the 20th century, nobody defended them any longer and their work was automatically devalued as passé. The paintings themselves do not change over time. Quality is a relative term in similar ways as time, which feels absolute in the moment. Why am I talking about who decides whether art is good or not. Today, I have Ram Rehman with us on Audio Gen. who needs no introduction. Uh, but just for a formality, Ram is a photographer, curator, designer, activist, and a noted contemporary artist based in Delhi. With his uh, such huge body of work, it's impossible to document even a fraction of his thoughts or ideologies and philosophies. But I'm just going to try and document one aspect uh, and have a conversation around curation. So, welcome, Ram, sir, uh, to AudioGAN. It's it's a real, real honor to have you on the show.
0: Well, thank you for asking me, Kedar. I'm happy yeah. to be on this and uh, give whatever gyan I can.
1: Wow. <laughs> thanks. Thanks a lot. The overall premise of the conversation, I wanted to just understand what is curation. And uh, that's why this particular quote as well. So, if you can help us uh, start by like, just giving some background about what like how old is this concept of curation i mean as as human species or uh as civilized humans or i mean what made us do that if we can start with that and then i have like a couple of more questions i heard
0: gosh you know um on the subject of curation there are probably many academics who would be specialists in the history of um you know, what what you're talking about is the concept and the meaning of the word, because, of course, it comes out of, uh, ultimately, it comes out of Latin. Uh, I can't really answer that in an academic uh, way, but I can answer it as a practitioner, as a photographer and somebody who's, you know, grown up in the arts, uh, both performing arts and architecture, Uh, with my parents and having watched the milieu of the arts. For me, curation uh, really means putting together some work that you have found interesting, uh, which may be performance, maybe cinema, uh, maybe photography, maybe painting, maybe architecture, and you want to share it with a wide audience. And my interest is always had a connection with history, which is, uh, you know, uh, either economic history, political history, social history, all of which, of course, are uh, completely interlinked. And what I have found interesting personally is to present work and contextualize it uh, in at the time that it was being done, or if it is contemporary work, uh, at the time that it's being made now, but I link it to social forces, historical forces, uh, either in the past or in the present. And I, for me, I find uh, that that contextual link actually reinforces uh, the creativity in any of these forms and makes it very interesting. Because the forms uh, keep changing over time and through history. So I hope that has a little uh, bit of clarity.
1: Yeah, I mean, but uh, if you can help understand with a particular example, if possible, I mean, how do you contextualize so that it will be?
0: Oh, sure. I mean, there are a number of examples because I have, uh, you know, quite a long history of practice. Uh, But one of the more interesting and possibly lesser known ones was a number of years ago, my friend Ranesh Ray, who's an architect in Delhi, who came out of the School of Planning and Architecture. Actually, he was in school with me in modern school before that. Ranesh was asked by Sonia Gandhi, to design a memorial museum to Indra Gandhi in the house that she was lived in and where she was assassinated, which was one Safdarjung Road in Delhi. And Ranesh dragged me into the project as a photo researcher, photo archivist, and photo curator, and also co-designer in terms of how we would present uh, the images It was only three rooms in this not very large house, uh, the three rooms that Rajiv and Sonia used to live in. Now, what I found very interesting about that project was you go through this incredible uh, public archive, but a lot of it was actually a personal archive, which many people had not seen, a lot of material which belonged to the family. And of course, the fascinating thing about that was it was linked to the national movement. I mean, the material is coming out of a family which was completely, uh, in a sense, one of the major spines of, of the freedom struggle. And putting that work together, thinking about, you know, how you present it to a public, which is a very ordinary public, because you have, you know, villagers who come in who take their shoes off before they enter the house uh, because it's almost for them like a shrine. That was a fascinating project. And I found, you know, putting uh, that history and making it very personal. Uh, Sonia Gandhi had wanted it to be very personal uh, with respect to Indira and not as kind of official a museum where you see her shaking hands with, you know, 150 leaders, etc. But showing the human side of a very public politician who happened to be a very, very important uh, figure. <clears throat> so that's what I mean about the context. You know, I found working on that really uh, exciting because it was, in a sense, also a learning experience for me because I learned about aspects of our history through uh, this very personal project focused on Indira Gandhi, uh, aspects that I would never have known about myself. And I find, for me, that's part of the excitement of curating something, is also learning myself and hopefully passing on some of that learning to the public.
1: Yeah, it's really amazing. But then... um... If I have to ask you, because obviously with uh, Sonia Gandhi and and Indira Gandhi, you have people who are telling you the real stuff, as in like whatever they experience. And this is quite recent in, in the timeline as well. When the history timeline is sort of many years before, maybe 100 years of years before. So, and plus there is also sort of every great figure or every particular event has a mythic truth and also like a real truth which must have happened so is there any process to differentiate those uh, identify how to go about it well it it actually you
0: know your uh, question about uh, a kind of mythic truth or a factual truth uh, you see when you're dealing with more modern material uh, that question doesn't arise so much Of course, you can, in terms of a figure like Indira Gandhi, you can say that there was a mythic aspect to her uh, because of that huge public persona. But there is actually very factual material. So, you know, more contemporary work, even, say, going back to 100 years, uh, you, you have a lot of facts that you can access and put before people. Now, when you go back in history much further, if you're going back many thousands of years, that becomes much harder. And, uh, you know, the kind of mythology which gets attached uh, to either real figures like the Buddha or mythic figures like Rama, after whom I'm named, uh, that becomes much more problematic because you have very little actual factual information. You know, the their stories, their kathas, etc., are literary or poetic. Uh, the Buddha is very different because there are uh, texts which are attributed to him, the Dasha Jatak, etc., and particular uh, speeches or teachings uh, that he made, including at Sarnath. Uh, or Jesus, who's a later figure than uh, than the Buddha, but in terms of art. <clears throat> You know the interpretation of older art becomes uh, the issue, because you can look at you know a a single painting, say a Dashavatar painting, etc., and analyze it through its uh, beauty, its construction, its color. But then there's also the mythology of uh, you know destroying a demon. What does that mean? So the interpretation in older work uh, becomes much harder, but can also be very exciting because, you know, you get scholars who present it in a way which is their interpretation and their interpretation might excite you to look at the work harder. Uh, And it doesn't necessarily mean that their interpretation is 100% correct, but it excites you enough to look at the work And maybe open your own thinking, your own ideas, your own analysis to make the work more interesting to yourself. And then, of course, you might have your own interpretation of that work. So with modern material, it's very different.
1: Hmm. So what you're saying is, uh, basically, you deal with whatever you have been presented with uh, and as far as the research can go. I mean, there is no real process to reach the actual truth which has happened it just so i'll give you one more example i was listening to this zakir interview where he said that uh, a lot of these uh, bandishes or uh, uh, different formats of reading a particular tal was used to change now if now he gave a timeline saying that i don't know anything beyond say 120 130 years ago Right, I mean that's that's what I can go up to. and beyond that is just my interpretation, my reading. So is that a similar case in uh, see painting or these sort of artifact type uh, stuff which gets curated? Well, you see music
0: and dance, uh, the performing arts uh, the recording of the performing arts is very recent. So you don't actually have performance records either of music or dance that go back very, very far. Now, when you're talking about painting, you see uh, what is the period that manuscripts or paintings or canvases actually survive from. If you look at our own art history, sculpture lasts because it is made of solid material. It is either carved in stone or cast in uh, metals or bronze or sometimes made with terracotta, which is a little more fragile material but can also last for quite a long time. The the ancient art which has lasted has usually been fresco painting. And in our case, like the Ajanta Caves or some of the beautiful paintings in the monasteries in Ladakh or the other Himalayan regions, uh, the Buddhist monasteries, Uh, or some of the paintings in the temples in South India. Now, those last because they're actually painted on uh, architectural surfaces. Now, this whole question of, uh, you know, there's so much art, obviously, that was lost that we haven't seen. So it's very difficult to extrapolate, you know, where ajanta came out of because it's a very sophisticated uh, visual tradition and obviously there must have been many streams of art practice happening at the time which led to that fantastic creation of of ajanta but we don't know that and we can't know that
1: because that's lost and and with real um, isn't it not with more recent stuff uh, which you mentioned about so how has that definition of something unique something curate worthy i don't know whether that's a word also but yeah something to be to be uh, put in context and then shared it with more people how has that definition changed within your 30 40 years of work because it, it a lot of times it happens right so you find more dots connecting and then you re-architect the entire thing so if you can share any particular
0: well uh, you see uh that is a complex question you know for instance the british ruled us for 200 something years they gave us the language which we are speaking now english and <clears throat> they imposed uh Study of art, study of architecture, etc, through the schools that they had built uh, across India. So a lot of our uh, you know modern looking our uh, modern thinking in the visual arts or the plastic arts changed enormously. I mean, there was a huge difference between what was happening in the late Mughal period and when that culture faded, including with language. Uh, or with music, which started, you know, vanishing or hiding in smaller courts, or even dance. Uh, I'm I'm losing my train of thought here. Uh, but you were asking how something becomes important in terms of, you know, say an iconic image, or an iconic building, or an iconic painting.
1: Correct, correct. Or if I have to, if I have to, just uh, put like a opposite side of the question that how, say, like unique or how the concept of being different and worth of curating ha- ha- is is like changing phenomena. How stable is this concept as well? I mean, if 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 I have to ask the same question on the other side. Well,
0: you see now with with the explosion in communication and with new media with uh, the internet, with telephones, etc., which, you know, uh, when I started out, there was none of that. So if I wanted to research something, I would have to go into a library and see if I could find a book which had that material. And in India, it was very difficult to get international publications, uh, particularly in the arts. Now you can reach out across the world uh, at the, you know, click of a of a mouse or a click of your uh, keyboard on your computer or even on the phone. You don't need a mouse or a computer. You can do it on your telephone as long as you have access to a smartphone and, and access to internet, which is also something which is actually quite limited in a poor country like ours. So the question of, you know, in our contemporary culture, you see What is iconic in India in terms of art? One of the most iconic is, of course, the Ashoka lion from the column in Sarnath. Now that is actually a work of art. It is a sculpture from thousands of years ago. It became adopted as the symbol of the state. Now here is a work of art which everybody sees every day it's on every note. It's on every uh, coin. It's on every letterhead, you know. Now there is something which became iconic and it is an incredible piece of sculpture as, as a work of art. If you, if you have seen it, it's in the museum in Sarnath.
1: Yeah, I've seen that. It's really beautiful
0: and beautifully carved. And, you know, it's a it's stunning work of art. But it became an icon because it was uh, designated as such. I'm trying to think in our culture, you know, you think of uh, the Nataraj uh, figure from uh, Chola sculpture. Now, there are many different uh, Nataraj sculptures, some of which become more famous than others because of their proportion. Uh, their scale, their, you know, mood that they convey. But that is an icon, you know, that that figure of the Nataraj dancing in that circle of fire uh, is recognized by almost anybody across the country. Uh, In modern times, I would say, you know, possibly uh, Rabindranath Tagore, some images, there's that image of that woman with the, uh urni over her head which is a portrait which many many people know uh and that's associated of course with the figure of tagore who's a very uh, highly complex figure in our national movement with his writing his poetry his uh philosophy his setting up of shantini ketan uh Otherwise, possibly, you know, someone like Hussein, who was who made images, Hussein, in his very persona became a kind of iconic figure, and he was one artist who was known uh, from the high soci- from the highest echelons of our society, to a rickshawala, and I don't think there's any other artist who has had that reach. He had a reach down to the ground. Uh, through sometimes very simple images. You know, I see him as a sort of um, uh, folk painter, actually, a patua painter. And I also see him actually as the first Sufi visual artist uh, because all the earlier Sufis uh, have been poets or singers. They have, you know, uh, articulated their, uh, link to the divine, or to the nation, or to the people through words. And I really see him as the first who articulated that connection through the visual. And I I think what happens is, uh, you know, there is a level of popular understanding which uh, an image can reach out to people and grab your attention. And it becomes, uh, uh, you know, it becomes an iconic image. And it might happen Uh, You know, recently when we've been watching this uh, terrible migration of the labor from our cities into the countryside because of this situation that we're in with this uh, coronavirus, there are a couple images that came out, uh, really short films that came out on the net, which gripped people because, you know, it, it showed something and it moved them. And there's this image of those chapatis lying on the railway tracks uh, where those people were those 15 or 17 who were run over by a train in the middle of the night uh, in Maharashtra. Or that boy who was on the suitcase uh, being pulled by his mother on the road. Now, see, those have become kind of iconic, uh, in a sense, artistic uh, images which have reached out to millions of people and have touched them somehow, and they will remember those images. And I'm talking about them actually in a context of art, because here is, here is a you know, um, it may not have been very consciously made, but that's the great thing about the mobile phone, etc. now is that sometimes you capture something, uh, an image or a little bit of a, of a film which can move millions of people also in an artistic sense. And it's the power of that uh, visual image, which actually grips you. If you only read about it, it may not have had the kind of effect that just those few seconds of that image have had.
1: I'm, I'm just uh, trying to digest what you said, but, uh, <laughs> but I want to, then I mean, understand that uh, as in the Ashoka's pillar, is is sort of like a great work in itself. But is it so? How important is the curator's vision mm-hmm. of including that and then making it mainstream? So one is the work itself speaks for itself, and it is it's it's phenomenal. it's it's, uh, it's poetic. It's everything. And then there is a curator also who spots that and then decides that it has to be an iconic part of our timeline, of our history, of our culture.
0: Uh, (laughs) Well, you know, the Ashoka lion, uh, I think actually was suggested to Nehru by Laila Tayyabji's mother. Um, And Laila's parents were prominent figures in the national movement. But talking about, you know, why and how you would choose something, I'll shift uh, the discussion a little bit to modern architecture, which is something I think you were also interested in. Correct. And, um, for instance, in 2013, I curated, I mean, that word is for me actually a slightly problematic word. Uh, but in any case, that's the word which is used. I curated an exhibition of, um, Photographs of Delhi's modern architecture by Madan Mahata, who was the great photographer from the Mahata family, family which has had studios uh, pre-partition in Ravalpindi, in Srinagar, and then finally set up in Delhi in partition. And they continued with their Srinagar uh, studio. But Madan was the first, one of the first photographers, to actually go abroad and study photography formally. He studied in England and he comes back to Delhi in 1955, which is just at the moment when all the new architectures being built in Delhi, much of it actually promoted by Nehru, who brought many of these architects to Delhi, like my father, uh, whom he brought to Delhi from Calcutta or Kanvinde, Achyut Kanvinde, who came from Bombay. But the amazing thing about Madan Mahata was that he was, first of all, a remarkable architectural photographer. And I realized that because I started, I studied photography. I had known, um, knew Madan, you know, in my childhood. But at, the more I studied in the US, the more I studied photography history and then started doing architectural photographs myself i realized how fantastic madan's work was and that it was very unique body of work because he photographed at the time when all these young architects were making this incredible body of modernist work in the city of delhi and uniquely because delhi had a lot of open land because it was a new city the new delhi and there was a lot of land available to build new buildings on a scale which is pretty unique for a for a new capital city. You know, it's only from the 50s until now. And I persuaded Madan, he was ill with cancer. Uh, I persuaded him. And I persuaded Devika Daulat Singh, uh, who was running a very good photo gallery in Delhi, Photo Inc. And I got them together and I put together this uh, exhibition. Now, you see the thing with that is that I knew the architecture and I knew Madan's incredible photographs of that architecture. And I thought, my God, you know, we really need to put this out in the public because this is a very important uh, document of a very important period of creativity in uh, our modern movement. Uh, but it's also a very, very powerful piece of art, because the photographs are so fantastic. And as I said, I've always been interested in that uh, conjunction of, of in a sense, you say you could say beauty, history, and the moment. In this case, it was the moment of the building of the New India, the aspiration towards, uh, you know, going away from our colonial history throwing away the shackles of that 200 years of British colonialism and coming into our own. So for me, in a sense, you know, I realized that that work was important to show. And actually the exhibition had a huge impact. And when I first asked Madan to show it, he said that who would be interested. And I said, please just listen to me because times have changed. And because of new technology, we were able to resurrect the old negatives and restore them and make these beautiful modern prints. And what happened was that it was for the first time that modern architecture shook the art world in India because no one had really looked at contemporary architecture as part of of the larger art project in India before that exhibition so there is a perfect example of uh you know finding something by happenstance because i happened to know him i had studied architecture i knew the architects so it was complete happenstance wasn't something that i researched you know and discovered from outside it came from inside
1: fascinating fascinating and if i have to just go slightly deeper and ask on the same lines that uh, recently, uh, I mean, this is mainly from a, like Ruto had recommended asking you this, that um, uh, you've been recently speaking a lot about your father's work as well. Right. I mean, does that fall in the same uh, timeline? And and what makes you think that, that stories have to be retold? I mean, I'll give you some background about my understanding as well, that I recently did uh, one uh, interview, which was sort of a biography of mm-hmm. Vijay Tendulkar. Uh, uh, spoken by Ramu Ramanathan, and what he said that in in the sixties and seventies, uh, Vijay Tendulkar, when he saw the Indira Gandhi's uh, regime, he said that this is sort of a rehearsal to fascism. Uh the emergency. Yeah, the emergency time, right. uh, and and uh, he he made like he obviously he made like strong comments about the administration in general, the establishment. What I read from this is that. These cycles keep happening, and and again, that's that's what I I have understood so far. But if you can help me understand that, do you also believe uh, in that? I mean, the cycles of something good and then bad happening in a very cyclical manner. Uh, and well, on...
0: it's you know it's difficult to uh, look through history. I mean, historically that has happened, mm. and you had asked actually about my father. Correct And why, uh, you know, we can take it from there and uh, get into the latter part of your uh, query. Uh, you see, my father studied in the 1940s in the U.S., studied architecture. He was one of the first uh, Indians to study architecture in the U.S. And he studied with the uh, well, with many teachers, but very importantly, with Walter Gropius, who had founded the Bauhaus. And you had asked that, you know, why is there now suddenly so much interest in the period either of my father's work or of that period uh, in India in the 1950s? And the reason is actually quite clear, because uh, 2019 was the centenary year of the founding of the Bauhaus in, in Germany. Um uh, and it was a very unusual school because it uh, it, it became the kind of uh, uh, harbinger of modernism in Europe. And what modernism meant was a new kind of building, a simplified architecture, which was aesthetically abstract and pleasing, but also incorporated new technology and was relatively cheap to build. So it fought against uh, the high bourgeois capitalist architecture that uh, most European cities had been built with. And the whole idea of the Bauhaus was to build for the people, for for the laborers, for the working class, for lower middle class, and give them a kind of uh, housing or work environment, which was open, filled with light, with new glass, which was available, etc. So that was a uh, philosophy that someone like uh, Gropius uh, expounded in MIT and in Harvard. Uh, my father had gone to MIT. And my father got very excited by that because it made complete sense to him, coming from a poor country like India, that this idealist. Uh, basis of modern architecture is completely suited to us so he comes here and he starts building in calcutta and nehru sees his work there uh, in the late 40s 1949 and tells him to shift to the central public works department in delhi and my father remained as a government architect his whole life unlike most of the architects who Uh, some of whom started out in government work and then set up private practice. And what is important about that period, not just in my father's work, but a whole generation in the 50s, was that there was this incredible spark of idealism. And these people were building public buildings. The government was the biggest construction, uh, you know, builder in India after independence new housing was being built, uh, new educational institutes, the IITs, uh, the medical aims, hospitals, cultural centers across India, uh, theaters, libraries, uh, and of course, a huge amount of public housing. And all of this had quite a fantastic creative input by these young designers who were pretty much following modernist principles across India, and especially in Delhi. And I think the reason that people find that interesting now is because that kind of idealism has been lost since we opened up in the 90s uh, to this neoliberal economic regime. We started importing, you know, we became much more consumer society than we had been before. And that idealism has actually interested younger people now because it has kind of been lost. And it's also a historic moment because for a country like India, see, don't forget that India, you know, set up the non-aligned movement in the 1950s along with uh, Egypt with Nasser and uh, Tito and Yugoslavia. So India had this aspiration of leading uh, older co- colonial nations out of colonialism, uh, we were we were the first in 1947. We watched the whole of Africa gain independence right through, you know, into the 70s. And this cultural thrust of India actually was very important because it was part of that uh, projection of. Modernist resistance. Uh, modernism had a revolutionary uh, link to it. It was left-wing. It was, uh, you know, anti-big business, uh, anti-capitalist, if you if you can put it that way. So I think those aspects, which are deeper aspects of uh, the philosophy, than just looking at a building and saying, "Oh, it's very nicely designed." Those are things that people have become very interested in now.
1: So, uh, Ram sir, I would like to conclude because there's so much to talk that uh, I don't know how <laughs> it just... one for hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, just to conclude, if I have to ask you that what's, what's sort of the long-term future of curation, especially in the digital world, uh, the boundaries are getting blurred of what's real, what's uh, put up what is pseudo and what is really got substance so do you think like i mean what's your how do you envision the museums or the galleries or curated work of the future well there are
0: many different uh, uh things going on you know right now we're in the m- middle of uh, the huge black lives matter uh upheaval in the u.s which has had um repercussions across the world. Mm. Now, I was laughing because, you know, this whole idea of tearing down statues in the US because uh, the figure that they want to remove was a slave owner who supported slavery in the American South uh, and basically repressed or maybe even, you know, killed hundreds of um, uh, what the Americans used to call Negroes or African uh, Blacks. Uh, who had been brought over as slaves. Now, the funny thing is my grandfather in 1909 uh, desecrated two Queen Victoria statues in Nagpur as a young revolutionary. And he was ratted on by somebody to the British and he had to flee India. And he landed up in the US and he could never return to British India until after independence. And because of that, his whole life changed. He met this American woman who was interested in Indian dance, married her, she became my grandmother. Uh and I'm just laughing, you know, looking at the statue removal in the US now, uh, thinking that, you know, here is this history that we have that goes back uh to our anti-colonial struggle. And we removed, you know, statues in India Gate and Delhi from many locations and took them all to uh, Kingsway camp. But I'm digressing a little bit because I think uh, museums are now going to have to uh, deal with particularly Western museums where so much of the art actually has been looted. And more and more people are now asking for that material to be returned. And some of it, of course, was looted. you know, during colonial rule, uh, a lot of African work is being slowly returned back to the tribes uh, who made the work and to whom the work uh, is important in terms of ritual or religion. And there's been a debate for a long time about Native American work in the US and Canada, which is lying in museums, which has again looted from the Native Americans. I think ultimately, you know, museums are going to have to uh, deal with these histories. And in the situation that we're in now with this incredible um, pandemic, I think the economic consequences are going to be huge. So many people have lost their jobs. So many people have lost their savings. And I don't mean just the very poor I mean, there are people, you know, who are upper middle class, etc., who are absolutely terrified because uh, many of them have lost the jobs. Look at what's happening with the press in India, where hundreds and hundreds of uh, journalists are being fired every day. One committed suicide today uh, at All India Medical Institute because he lost his job and got uh, uh, infected with the virus. Uh, so we're facing an economic crunch right at the moment, which is going to have a huge impact on the art world uh, in terms of the art market, et cetera. Uh, So it's very difficult to say, but I think the internet, you know, both has good aspects and bad aspects. Good aspect is that you can share work very, very quickly. Of course, it's not in person, it's on a computer screen, Uh, or on a digital screen, which is not the same thing as holding an object in your hand or seeing uh, a painting on the wall or on canvas. Uh, But I think the net will become more and more important. And I think it will, you know, in its own way, generate uh, an aesthetic, which I don't see as a bad thing. I'm again listening, you know, we have just banned TikTok a few uh, days ago because of this Chinese uh, fracas in Ladakh. And I look at all these poor people in the villages who were making these little TikTok videos. And it had become a means of, in a sense, self-expression. Anybody could do it who had a, a good enough phone, smartphone. And people actually went out and bought phones just to do this because some of them were actually making a bit of money. Uh, when they got a lot of followers who were watching their little performance things on TikTok. So, you know, that generates a new kind of means of expression. Um, So I think that'll happen, you know, it'll change. And museums will change. I think many museums actually are going to close uh, because uh, with this extended, uh, God knows how long this... uh, virus is going to keep us all shut down, but I have a feeling it's going to be very, very long until um, until a, a vaccine is found. It is going to completely disrupt uh, the world as we know it.
1: Yeah, I mean, speaking about the expression part, I, I was just reading the day before yesterday, there was one woman a woman in, in some Bhopal or Kanpur. I don't remember the city exactly, but she was killed just because she... She had like 1.3 lakh followers on TikTok. I mean, it's it's a different uh, story which is happening in different parts of the world. Oh, so, yeah.
0: Gosh, uh, that story I hadn't heard. Uh,
1: yeah, it was very sad. All right. I think, uh, I mean, this can just keep going on and on. And I'm really, really thankful to you for giving uh, such great insights and sharing some of your knowledge uh, on audio AudioGAN. So I'm really thankful. Uh, before we sign off i want to also thank rituraj from matter and uh, yeah i mean this episode is in association with matter so yeah
0: well thank you and uh, i also thank rituraj because he had uh, where we first met was mm-hmm. at that fantastic uh, symposium on modernist architecture in goa correct which he had organized i think in august last year
1: mm-hmm.
0: which was uh, really a remarkable uh, symposium uh with okay. fantastic speakers and v- very very well organized so i'm glad we met there and i'm glad we
1: were able to do this thank you yes sir definitely it's, it was an honor speaking to you thank you
0: and that's it from today's gyan session catch us on itunes saavans Stitcher, or any podcasting app you use do rate us on itunes and follow us on twitter facebook and instagram Stay tuned for more Gyan on audiogan.com. Till then, bye.